They are the manifestation of what has been brewing in the Republican Party for a long time, just like Donald Trump was the manifestation of what was brewing in the Republican Party. Hi, from The Grio, I'm your co-host, Dr. Christina Greer, and today we have a special, special guest co-host. I'm Jaron Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio, and you are listening to What's In It For Us. Oh, Jaron, I'm so happy. A crossover episode. Jaron's also the host of the Dear Culture podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here today with us. So, Jaron, we have to talk about a few things. Uh, your girl, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Congresswoman from Georgia, running off at the mouth and trying to start some America First initiative and getting into a bit of a tussle with Congresswoman and our auntie, Maxine Waters. Uh, I want to discuss this amazing piece that you wrote for the GRIO uh, based on an interview you had with Congresswoman Waters. Marjorie Taylor Greene's trying to get Maxine Waters kicked out of Congress. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is becoming this new star in the Republican Party. And it's very troubling to me because we're seeing the Republican Party move even more right, if, if that's even possible. Um, and this is the same person who has been spewing conspiracy theories about school shootings, that have been spewing racist rhetoric, um, and continues to be a, a nuisance for uh, the House. And Republican leadership doesn't seem to want to rein her in. Now she's coming for one of the most beloved Black lawmakers in, in Congress, um, calling for her expulsion. And we can get into that more into the show. Oh, we definitely will. We definitely will. So that and a few other topics. And obviously, the focus will always be what is in it for us. So, Jaron, before we get into our main topic, I'm so glad you're here today because I wanted to talk to you about another loss we suffered as a community this past week, which is the loss of Black Rob, real name Robert Ross. And he had a history of kidney failure and diabetes, and he'd recently suffered some strokes. Uh, and he had tweeted uh, about DMX from his, his hospital bed just before DMX passed. Uh, we know he'd been on dialysis for the past five years. And he wasn't doing well, and he was in a lot of pain, I think, physically and emotionally. But I'm really concerned about this loss of Black men that we've incurred in the past, you know, say week and a half, we've lost two black men, roughly 51 years old. And I think that it's a larger issue. I don't think that I'm making a tempest in a teapot with just the loss of DMX and the loss of Black Rob. I think their deaths actually uh, highlight a much larger issue about some health concerns we have in the black community, leaving COVID aside and all the health issues that COVID is bringing and exposing in our community. But we know that the leading cause of death for black men ages 45 to 64, heart disease, 26%, cancer, 20, almost 22%, unintentional injuries, 9%, and stroke is almost 5%. So what are your thoughts? How are you feeling? Well, first off, you know, my, my heart goes out to the family and friends of Black Rob. Um, I know I saw that video days before his death, and I didn't know that he was sick. And I think you're right. There's definitely, this definitely is like a microcosm of a larger issue in the Black community as it relates to Black men in health. My dad was only 60 years old when he passed away from heart failure. 
And so it hits home for me very personally. And I remember his death really awakening this need for me to really be on top of my health. I went vegan. I started, you know, working out more, more consistently because I didn't want to end up like my father um, because I was seeing so many young black men in my family, in my community uh, dying. Yes, when we think about a DMX, that was a separate issue. Like he, he was battling um, addiction. But then you have uh, many black men who feel like they have to be tough, that they are, people usually wait until they feel something in their body or something really bad to go to the doctor, if that. And it's really important for us to normalize just going to the doctor. Like I go to therapy every once a week and you should be going to the doctor maybe once a month, maybe every other month. Well, you know, I, I fear that far too many people in our community use doctors to cure. And, you know, they go to the doctor when you can barely walk, when your heart is jumping out of your chest, as opposed to the yearly physical. Now, one, we know that there's a longstanding mistrust of Black people in the medical profession, which is warranted, and we get that. Two, we know that we are underinsured compared to other groups. And so it is difficult for a lot of us to just go into a doctor's office. Many of us use the emergency room as a doctor's office. But, you know, I think it's also, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in the sense that my dad has insurance. My dad goes to the doctor regularly. Like he he stays on the, the checkups so that it doesn't turn into a much larger situation. But I think a lot of us can also think about holistic ways to keep ourselves healthy. One is therapy, right? To sort of make sure our psychological doesn't turn into physiological. But two, you know, so that we don't have uh, some of these larger addiction stories really thinking about ways that we can go back to some of our ancestors and what our grandparents did when they didn't have insurance and go to the hospital all the time to sort of make sure we do preventative care, whether it be for our heart conditions or high blood pressure and changing diet and all those other things. Um, so as with all things, uh, we also just here at the GRIO and here at What's In It For Us podcast want to give um, Black Rob's family, friends, and his fans our deepest condolences for their loss. And as always, we will try and continue to think about and talk about what is in it for us. So Jaren, I'm so glad we have you here this week because I really want you to delve into this amazing piece that you wrote for the Brio about Congresswoman Maxine Waters. So we know that our favorite auntie, shut down her Republican colleague, Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan, who has scandal on scandal. If you all aren't aware, please Google this man. Uh, but on Thursday, they were um, listening to Dr. Anthony Fauci's testimony before a congressional subcommittee. Jordan was questioning Fauci about the country's pandemic response. Uh, he'd gone over his prescribed time limit when Waters told him, essentially, respect the chair and shut your mouth. We then have another colleague of Congresswoman Waters, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's a Republican from Georgia, saying on Sunday that uh, the congressional body needs to expel Representative Waters from Congress after Maxine Waters told protesters in Minnesota to get more confrontational. Derek Chauvin is convicted of murdering George Floyd. And I think, you know, I, I really wanted to delve into that because what's so important for that is you have this brand new Congresswoman who is known for harassing her Democratic colleagues, but especially her Black colleagues, so much so that they have moved offices because Marjorie Taylor Greene and her conspiracy theories and her supporters have targeted Black congresspeople. So walk us through your interview 
with Congresswoman Waters, and then hopefully we can expand some of our thoughts about what the 82-year-old Congresswoman is still dealing with when it comes to racism at the workplace. Like she's a Congresswoman having to deal with racism at her job, just like the people who work at Wendy's, just like those of us who don't work in uh, primarily black institutions have to deal with the nonsense on a daily basis from people who just got there and quite honestly don't have the qualifications to be there. Absolutely. So I, I want to backtrack. So I woke up uh, the Sunday after Congresswoman Waters was in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, with protesters to protest not only the, the recent shooting of Dante Wright, but also protesting for justice for George Floyd, where just minutes away, there's a trial going on in the Derek Chauvin trial. And I noticed that a lot of right-wing media were reporting about Maxine Waters' comment, and, and they were really harping on the word confrontational. I saw it on Fox News, I saw it on the, the New York Post, the Daily Mail, and I'm a former employee at Fox News Digital, so I know, I usually check to see what the right is talking about, because it gives you, it kind of gives you a little indication of like, what else is happening around the world aside from our silos, and so as a reporter. We need to know what the crazy is that's being said about us. Exactly. And so I was like, oh, I don't see um, anyone else reporting about this but the right wing media. So I wanted to give the Congresswoman a chance to clarify or comment to a lot of the pushback that she was getting. She was trending on Twitter at the time. And so I reached out to her press secretary. We have a pretty good relationship working together. Um, and so I reached out and I said, hey, do you want to release an exclusive statement to the GRIO? And he said, well, she's about to go on TV on the Sunday show on MSNBC, but she can hop on the phone with you afterwards. And so I wanted to ask about that question specifically. And, and coincidentally, she was not asked about that when she appeared on TV. And so I was like, okay, this is my chance. Let me, let me make sure I get that question in. And so we talked about other things. We talked about the protests. We talked about policing in general. But when I asked her about, you know, right-wing media have been really harping on your use of the word confrontational. Mm -hmm. And this isn't first time that uh, Fox News, et cetera, have used the words of Black women in politics to suggest that they are promoting violence. We saw it during the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump, where um, Trump's attorneys tried to use the words of Maxine Waters and many others, Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris. Um, and, and so she did clarify her statements that she was not uh, suggesting that protesters get violent. She's like, when I'm speaking about confrontation. I'm talking about confronting the justice system, mm -hmm. confronting law enforcement, using uh, uh, law and policy to confront these issues that Black Americans and Brown Americans are in particular experiencing every single day. She said, you know, verbatim, I am nonviolent. This is a woman who came out of the civil rights movement. She was inspired by the civil rights movement and the women's movement to even get into politics. So to, to suggest that she was in, uh, embracing the idea of that protesters should be violent, that they should uh, loot or burn uh, was, was a bit, it was a very extreme to me, which is why I really wanted her to speak to that. We all know Maxine Waters. Yeah, she's very outspoken. Uh, she's made that very clear her entire career. When Donald Trump was first elected, she was one of the first, if not the first person to say, to ring the alarm and to call it like it was. Because I, I think that this is part of a larger pattern that we see whenever Black women, especially, say anything that advocates for ourselves or our communities, we are known as threatening, right? I mean, I've been called threatening my entire life, my little five foot six self, right? I've had so many tears where it's just like, I'm so, I'm physically afraid of Chrissy Greer, how, right? 
And it's because it's not just Fox News that perpetuates this notion that anytime a Black woman speaks her mind, it's a threat, right? And I, I think it's fascinating that, you know, when you went down the list of Black women who appear uh, out, out of the mouths of Fox News hosts and all of the, the whirlwind that comes after that, I mean, don't forget, they target our colleagues who are journalists. They target my, my colleagues who are academics. Anytime my name is mentioned on Fox News, the number of death threats I receive is exponential. And they know what they're doing, right? They know that by mentioning Maxine Waters, you know, she was mentioned a hundred some odd times on Fox last week. And what she's saying is the truth. I mean, just today, President Biden came out and said he called George Floyd's family to offer his support. He said the evidence for a guilty verdict is overwhelming. And he also said the reason why I'm saying that is because the jurors are now sequestered. So I'm not trying to tamper with the jury, you know, and as the judge in the Derek Chauvin trial essentially insinuated that Maxine Waters was in the wrong and trying to incite a riot. So I think that that brings up some concern because so many of our listeners and so many of the Griot's readers really do have a distrust of the court system. They have a distrust of Congress because of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, because of people like Jim Jordan, and because of judges who look at a woman, a congresswoman like Maxine Waters, and all of a sudden say, yeah, I think she is being threatening. And I think that she is sort of being aggressive. I know that she's fine with who she is, and she is comfortable with what she does on behalf of Black people and the citizens of America. But what else from your time with her sort of gave you a glimpse into her mindset? Because she's been fighting for 82 years. So this can't be easy to see this over and over again. We're exhausted. And, you know, we're much younger than she is. It's so funny you mentioned her age because I said to her, you're 82 years young and you never miss a beat. And she, she expressed to me that she that she doesn't get tired. This is what she she loves doing this work. And she was very undeterred by what was coming from the right because she sees it as just a, a regular ploy that the GOP often does, which is use the words and images of Democrats, particularly Black women in the Democratic Party, to not only to create hysteria, but also to raise money off the backs of people like Maxine Waters, because they know that because Maxine Waters is so well known, whether you love her or hate her, she's her, you see her face, you use her name, is gonna get the base riled up. And you'll say, hey, donate $50 to my campaign to stop Maxine Waters from taking over the world. And she didn't seem uh, phased by it whatsoever. I don't even think that she understood in that moment during that interview that, it was becoming uh, the national story that it is now. She, was, she traveled to uh, Brooklyn Center to advocate on the behalf of Black America, which she often does every day. And, and really, we're only talking about this because right-wing media decided to make the headline. And I think that because uh, mainstream media went and ran with it, and then in addition to that, now it's being mentioned in the courtroom now, all of a sudden, we're talking about whether or not her words were violent in nature. When we're there to discuss the fact that a police officer killed a Black man with his knee in broad daylight with, with other people screaming, please don't do this, and people were so uh, fearful of the cops, they had to call the cops. The first thing I tell my students on the first day of school and every single uh, class period afterwards, where if you're ever confused about anything in politics, follow the money. And... When you said that Republicans are raising, they've been raising money off of Maxine Waters for years, and they've definitely been raising money off of Maxine Waters in the past five years, especially this faction 
of the Republican Party. And so now that Donald Trump is gone, you still have these hardcore right-wing Marjorie Taylor Greene types, Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, where their leader is gone, but they're trying to hold on to this base. And so Marjorie Taylor Greene is trying to create this America First initiative, a phrase that Donald Trump used often. Uh, it is latent in anti-Black rhetoric, white supremacist rhetoric. Uh, they wanted to talk about the common respect for uniquely Anglo-Saxon political traditions, obviously completely ignoring First Nations people, completely ignoring the reality of the history of America, the history of anti-Black racism and all the contributions Black people have made to this country, the mass immigration efforts that we've had over time. And it's been curious to see how certain Republicans are trying to walk it back just a little. So you have Kevin McCarthy, who's like, well, you know, as my grandmother would say, Avdabin, right? So he's the top house Republican. He's like, well, I, I, we're the party of Lincoln. We're party for opportunities for all Americans, not native as dog whistles. You had John Boehner on this book tour saying like, oh, that's just ludicrous. This is who we are. And I was like, is it though? Because I feel like Marjorie Taylor Greene is just saying the loud part quiet. And this, the way the former president did was like, why are we trying to front y'all? Like, this is who we are. Let's do it. And I think other Republicans are saying, well, I think we can get a little bit more done if we denounce it and then just do what she's, what she's advocating for. And that's a different type of strategy. So where you, where do you fall on the Marjorie Taylor Greene saying the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right for sure. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene and people like her, Lauren Boebert, um, et cetera, they are the manifestation of what has been brewing in the Republican Party for a long time, just like Donald Trump was the manifestation of a, what was brewing in the Republican Party, because we're talking about voting rights and trying to uh, stop black and brown people from having access to the ballot. But this has been going on for a long time. This has been a strategic um, ploy by the Republican Party to get and retain power. And, and so now we're seeing white nationalism kind of be embraced publicly when it used to seem like it was being more so embraced uh, more inconspicuously, I guess you could, I would say. I don't know if it's good or bad. On one end, you might argue that having a Marjorie Taylor Greene, having someone to specifically call out and say, this is problematic, this is racist, um, gives Democrat, the Democrats a chance to show voters and, and American citizens that this is not what we want America to look like. But we're in a very divided country and it just seems like she's only gaining popularity. She's only getting more attention. And able to fundraise. She's been stripped of her committees and she's still like getting more headline attention than any other Republican right now in, in Congress. You know what I think is really important, Jaren? And region matters. You know, and I always want to know where people are from and not just in the black people sense, like where you're from, from, you know, like I, I want to know where you where you're from and like where your people are from. But, you know, I think where you live and where you grew up really does matter to sort of who you are and your development and, and your outlook on the world. And I don't think it should be lost on us that Marjorie Taylor Greene represents citizens in the state of Georgia. And we've seen what Georgia has done. I mean, after the victory of Donald Trump or of, of Joe Biden in 2020 in Georgia, the victory of two Democratic senators in January 2021 in Georgia, and now we see that pendulum swinging back. She represents a percentage of Georgians who don't like the future uh, of their state. You know, Jim Jordan, it shouldn't be lost in us, 
represents the state of Ohio, a swing state that, you know, has been solidly kind of read these past few cycles. But there are a lot of folks who want a continuation of what we thought was borderline torture from 2016 to 2020, dealing with uh, the federal government and the executive branch. And so I, I think that as we see who coalesces around Marjorie Taylor Greene, we really need to look at the state representation to get a clearer idea of just how broad her support is. Because oftentimes we try and, you know, throw shade on Southern legislators because a lot of, rep you know, representatives are Republicans down there. But we got to recognize that there are a lot of Northern and Western and Midwestern Republicans who are on board and helping her raise this money for this type of rhetoric that not only goes after Black Congresswomen, uh, but Black people more explicitly. So as always, I'm going to keep thinking about what's in it for us. Um, Jaron, you're going to keep thinking about it. So tell us what's new for you before I let you go. Well, the only thing on my mind these days is uh, thegrio.com. So if you want to make sure you get your, your news every day from thegrio.com and also the Dear Culture podcast, um, my co-host, Shauna Pennick, who's a social media director at The Grio, we love listening to what's in it for us when we're not uh, recording Dear Culture. So it's all, it's all about promotion of the brand always. Well, listen, I am so thankful for you joining us today for our little Jetsons Flintstones crossover episode. I want to thank Jaron Keith Gaynor for joining What's In It For Us. Thank you so much, Jaron. I, I love having you. Please promise you'll come back. I will. Thank you so much, Chrissy. Thank you for listening to What's In It For Us. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. The What's In It For Us podcast is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Blue Talusma and co-produced by Abdul Kodus and Antonio Thomas.